0: Good morning. Man, it's good to see all of you. An honor to be with you again this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Austin, and I'm on staff with one of our college ministries at uh, Minneapolis, Salt Company, Minneapolis. It's a pleasure to be with you again, and if you have been with us a while, you know that we've been going through the book of Psalms, and we've got another sweet one this morning. And while you were listening, I hope you caught on to the fact that this is about God's guidance. And so, actually, I couldn't help, but my entire prep, I couldn't get this one quote out of my mind, so I thought I would share it with you really quickly this morning. It's by a wise man named Ryan, uh, Ryan from The Office. It says, I want guidance. I want leadership. But, but don't just boss me around. Lead me. Lead me when I'm in the mood to be led, right? Thank you, Ryan. Really appreciate his wise words. But I love this quote, honestly, because I resonate with it. Maybe you do as well, that leadership sounds great, but only sometimes. Made me think about leadership in general, but most specifically how I view God's leadership. Of course I want it, right? Of course I want God to lead me, but only sometimes. Only like when I'm in the mood to be led by God. Well, this morning, we've got a psalm that David wrote when he was really going through it. He's got enemies. He's got affliction. His heart is troubled. He is distressed. Throughout the prayer, we see how he's just desperate. Desperate for God's leadership. How are you doing this morning? Maybe you're walking in with a similar heart posture just troubled, distressed, in need of God's leadership. Let's look at the things from the first couple of verses that David points out in his life. He says, "To you, O oh Lord, I lift up my soul. Oh my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame." Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. What I love about the Psalms is it's both a prayer and scripture. So it tells us about the human condition, but it also can fill us in on who God is, what makes him tick. And so I've been personally encouraged by this psalm because it shows me what type of person God will lead. It shows me how I can be certain that God will lead me despite the situation, despite the circumstances. Here's how I can be confident in God's leadership. And I I hope that the psalm can do the same for you because we need God's leadership. So the question this morning really is just, hey, how do we get God's leadership? How do we have God be our leader? And the psalm presents us with three prerequisites, so to speak, of God's leadership. Three prerequisites, sin, humility, and covenant keeping. And we get to unpack each of these together this morning. Let's start with prerequisite number one, sin, Check out verse 8 with me. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. God instructs sinners. This is good news. It doesn't say, God is up, good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs the sinless in the way. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs the worthy in their own right his way. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs the good and the upright in his way. No, that's not what it says. The instruction of the Lord is for sinners. People who don't have it all together. People who have messed up. People who have missed the mark. People who don't feel welcome in a church. People who confess that we need help. The instruction of the Lord is for me. It's for you. If God only instructs the ones who are worthy in their own right, then we're in big trouble, right? But he doesn't. David knew that he was a sinner. He confesses it in verse 6 and 7. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they've been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. And then again in verse 11. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. And then again in verse 18, consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. David knew it. He knew he needed help. And actually, this is the one thing that every person in every corner of the world has in common, that we have fallen short of God's standard. We are all in need of leadership but we're thankful for verse eight because it's as clear as can be. Though we are all sinners, God instructs sinners. It's almost to say that sin is a prerequisite for God's leadership. Not, of course, meaning that you should sin in order to attract the attention of God so that he will lead you. No, but actually that God will lead you even though you have a sinful nature. God will lead you, even though you, your bent is to disobey, to turn away from him. Even though you'll spend your life tipping things over and causing problems, it's not not too much of an obstacle for God. It does not disqualify you from his leadership, nor does it intimidate him. God will lead you, even though you sin. This is a huge piece Of hope for me personally because I know that I'm still sinning and so I need leadership. The fact that God offers guidance and instruction to me, even in my sin, means I've got hope to take one step forward. Declaring that I'm a sinner allows me to recognize how poorly I can lead myself and just throw myself at the person who I know will lead better than I do. God loves to guide sinners. Because he loves sinners. This made me think just about my dad because, well, I think he's very cool. He's actually here today. Dad, I think you're cool. Uh, He's wicked smart and loves to solve problems. And that's a fantastic dynamic duo for being the dad who wants to help solve all the problems. But I've noticed that there's kind of a blessing and a curse for a dad who is wicked smart and can solve every problem, because it's both sweet to solve every problem, but then you become the dad that needs to solve every problem, and so he's been patient with me over, and over, and over again, as I've asked him to instruct me on various things, asking him for guidance on changing my oil, or coming up with a science fair project, you know, he, I came up with some really good science fair projects, even though it was his brain, uh, You can ask me about those later. Citrus actually powers things. Did you know that? It's pretty cool. Uh, Anyway, my dad's been unbelievably patient with me time and time again as I ask him over and over to help me with similar things. I've zoned out many times as he's explaining things to me because, frankly, I just know that he's going to do it better. And I can just ask him the next time I'm confused. So, yeah, I would zone out, don't feel good about it, but regardless... My dad continues to instruct me, continues to teach me. Why? Well, because he loves me, because he cherishes that time with me. When we're working on a project together, he actually loves to give me guidance because he's got my best interest in hand. Eventually, the, the analogy between my dad and God for sure draws to a close because even my dad has limits, right? And at some point, I'm going to need to come up with my own science fair project. At some point, I should learn how to change my oil. But the point is that he instructs me, even though I'm a pain in the butt, because he loves me and he cherishes time with me, and he's got my best interest. And your heavenly Father is no different. He loves to instruct you. He loves to tell to tell you the way forward. He loves to free you from the path of death and show you a new way because he's good and he loves you. He sees you in a desperate state and loves to be the God of salvation. He offers repentance and forgiveness of sins over and over and over and over because he loves you. So the invitation for you this morning is the same as every morning to throw your sin, to throw your mistakes into the ocean of Jesus' blood. That is how he proved that he loves sinners, by dying on the cross, paying for the sin, and so that we can find freedom in throwing our sins into the ocean of his blood, drowning them, putting putting to death the old self and putting on the new self, Just as Christ was raised, we can believe that our worst mistakes are not counted against us. And we can believe that God will lead us and redeem even the worst of our pitfalls. It's not too big for him. And he loves leading you. So would we be a church full of sinners? Full of people who don't have it all together? But would we be a people who believe ruthlessly in the redeeming power of Christ, hating sin, turning from it, but believing that God will redeem it? God's leadership is for the sinner. Prerequisite number two, humility. If prerequisite number one is sin, prerequisite number two, humility. Look at me with verse nine. Not look at me. Been looking at me this whole time. Uh, look with me at verse 9. Thank you. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. This one's a doozy, but I think this exercise will help. How many of you are very humble? You can raise your hand. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Super humble because none of you raised your hand. Good job. That would have been a trap, but none of you fell for it, so bummer. Okay, if humility is our next prerequisite for God's guidance, what does it really mean to be humble? Is it this thing where you just, like, try to fake, like, nah, I actually don't think I'm that cool. That's why I'm not going to raise my hand. But secretly, deep down, you're actually thinking, well, I actually could raise my hand because I am pretty humble. Is that what it is? Is that what humility is? C.J. Mahaney puts it this way. He says, humility is honestly assessing our sinfulness in the light of God's holiness. If pride is to overinflate, to think of yourself bigger than you actually are, then humility is shrinking to your true size. Not self-deprecation, not hating yourself, but simply shrinking to your true size, being honest about where you stand in relation to a holy God. And here's the thing, we have a lot to be humble about. Think about just the things that you need in order to exist. We are incredibly dependent. Think about these things. You need air. You got to breathe. You need food. You need shelter. You need water. You needed mom and dad. to. There's a lot of things that you need in order to exist. You are incredibly dependent. Okay, think about this with me. What are the things that you're super proud of? What are the things that you want that attention for, right? You want that accolade. You want the recognition for it. How did, how did that happen in your life? You might say, honestly, man, I'm just really talented. Really talented guy. Okay, well, where did your talent come from? Well, you might say, honestly, dude, I'm really driven. I just go for it. I'm super driven. I will not relent until I get where I want to be. Well, where did your drive come from? It doesn't take long to realize that all great accomplishments come back to what you were given. Imagine with me that you were born like a thousand years ago into the Tibetan mountains, a small village out in the Tibetan mountains. I don't care how driven you were, you'd be poor. I don't care how talented you were, you would still be in that village. So who really deserves credit for your life? Who really deserves credit for all those accomplishments? Well, the author of life, the one who gave it to you, deserves credit. I mentioned C.J. Mahaney before, but he has this book called Humility. Highly recommend it. If God is the author of your life, this is what he's talking about, the the giver of all things, then when you're taking credit, for your life and all things in it, you are committing cosmic plagiarism. Cosmic plagiarism, when you're stealing credit from the God who gave you all things. How proud are we to think that we deserve compliments for this and that, recognition for this and that, all that we've done. We think every success is because we're awesome, every failure is because somebody else messed up, right? Cosmic plagiarism. But David says he leads the humble in what is right. He teaches the humble his way. Okay, maybe you're like me and you've realized that, yeah, so many of the problems in your life do come from this root of pride. Thinking too highly of yourself. But you're trying to cultivate humility. You're trying to be that more humble person, but then you're just like, focusing on yourself more, right? You're trying to analyze how I'm dealing with certain things, analyze how I'm reacting, but you're actually becoming more self-focused, which is leading to pride because then you're actually like, oh, I'm actually really humble. This is awesome. And then those people aren't actually that humble. Well, now we've just fell into a trap once again. So is humility just going to be this struggle over and over again? Well, if you're Looking at yourself, yes. But humility comes from outside of yourself. Humility does have a source. So where is that source? Guys, can I tell you a secret about this psalm? It's not really a secret. It's all about one person. And no, it's not about you. There you go again. No, this psalm is about one person. It points to one person. His name is Jesus, the most humble man to ever live. This psalm points to the most humble man to ever live. And he is God. God is humble. How? How can an all loving, all knowing, all powerful, perfect, Holy being, be humble. Someone who is deserving of all the praise there could be. How is that person humble? This is a great mystery. It's the greatest mystery known to man. I like to call it the gospel, which means good news. It is that there is a God who has existed for all eternity past and will exist for all eternity eternity, future. He created all things. He holds all things together. And that God actually left his throne and put on flesh. He became a man. He was even born as a baby into a poor family in the middle of nowhere. He grew up into a mature man. He was a carpenter for a while. And he was led by God to perform miracles, to teach, He followed God's guidance perfectly, humbly. But actually what this led to is everybody in that day began to hate him. Because he was following God's guidance perfectly. The people of that day hated him enough to kill him. And so God, in the form of man, fully God, yet fully man, actually died on a cross. Was put to death on a Roman cross. The most gruesome form of punishment that we know. God emptied himself for you. God showed humility. And this is the greatest display of humility that you will ever see. The one person who deserved praise and recognition decided to lay his life down instead. So how can anybody, how can anybody be arrogant when we stand next to the foot of the cross? That's the source of humility. How could anyone think too highly of themselves when you look at an act of love like that? Something so marvelous. This made me think of the best road trip that I've ever been on. It was with Cora, my wife, my now wife. Uh, we went uh, a few summers ago, put the paddleboard on the top of the hatchback and headed west. It was epic. At one point, we wound up in Montana at a place called Holland Lake. If you've ever been there, you know. This is amazing. Oh, man. Okay. It was this crystal clear lake, right, at the base of a mountain. We do not have this in Minnesota. And crystal clear water and there's this perfect border of trees around the entire lake. They were tall. They were beautiful. And on this mountain on one side, there's actually a waterfall that falls down. And we were on the opposite side of the lake, but, but launched our paddleboard into the water. And we were going to head for the waterfall. I remember after we had been paddling for a little bit, we're now in the middle of the lake. And we looked back to where we had come from. And right there was this border of trees that had created It kind of blocked some of our view. But when we looked back to where we had come from, I could finally see over the trees for the first time. And I remember just like, I froze. Because what was hidden from me was this incredible mountain range. Way, I mean, it made the mountain that we were looking at look tiny. Because this mountain range stretched from as far left as I could see to as far right as I could see. And it seemed like miles into the sky. Just this massive mountain range had actually snuck up on us. And it was in that moment that I shrank to my true size. Because I was looking at something marvelous. I thought it was awesome to see this one mountain, but all of a sudden it was like I was in a movie and the camera panned way out and I became this speck amidst a massive mountain range. I shrank to my true size. This is what happens when you stand next to something marvelous. This is humility shrinking to your true size. So how do we be humble? We need to stand next to something marvelous. Stand next to the cross. Kneel. Be dropped to your knees and see how beautiful it is. That the perfect God would be humble and lay down his life for you. See the crucified and risen Jesus and let him be the hero of the story. This will certainly kill pride and cultivate humility. God's leadership is for the humble. Let's look at prerequisite number three covenant keeping. Maybe you've been patiently listening to the first two prerequisites, but you're still like, ah, I don't know that I actually want God to be my leader. I want to show you something in verse 10. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your namesake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him Will he instruct in the way that he should choose? His soul, sh- his soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. God is offering steadfast love and faithfulness. For those who keep his covenant and his testimonies, this is what God's leadership looks like love and faithfulness. Consistent and unending love. That's what I need. That's what you need. You need a leader who gives you unending love and faithfulness. Can any other leader give you that? No way. No way. They could, at their best, give you friendship, great counsel, a good pay, a long contract. But can they give you unending love and faithfulness? No shot. God is the greatest leader of all time. But we need to get one thing straight. What is covenant keeping? If he's offering steadfast love and faithfulness to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies, then what's that all about? Well, in other words, covenant-keeping is righteousness. To be in right standing with God, to be on good terms with him because the covenant is being kept. And God is in a covenant relationship with his people. And we see this written of first in Exodus chapter six. You don't need to turn there, but it'll be on the screens. Exodus six, verse seven, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. This is covenant language. Him being yours, you being his. God's people are, in, are not in a contractual agreement where when there is a mistake, where when it wants to be broken, there is the result of separation between the two parties. That's not what this is. God takes his people. God takes his people and will never give them away no matter how poorly they perform. This made me think of uh, basketball. See, growing up, I loved playing basketball. I still do, actually. Uh, But something you need to know about me when I was growing up is that I was consistently shorter than most of my peers. So this actually, I mean, honestly, this affected, like, how I saw the world, how I saw myself. We don't need to go into that totally right now. We'll stay stay here. Uh, Basketball, Right? I was short, and I loved playing basketball, so I was the point guard, right? I am short, kind of quick, able to handle the ball a little bit, and uh, I remember trying out for the traveling teams in junior high, right? We had three teams that you could be on in the seventh grade, A, B, and C teams, right? They were ranked. A was the best. Uh, C was the worst, and you know, I tried out, and can you guess which team I got put on? You can shout it out if you want to. Hey, yeah, thank you. No, no, that's very kind. Yeah, C, I was put on the C team. And immediately I remember thinking to myself, it's because I'm short, right? They hate me. They, they just see that I'm short. They don't think I can perform under pressure. They don't think I'm strong enough. They don't think I can have that smooth layup. No, they, the system's against me. I'm short. I'm on the C team. Okay, here's the deal. It probably was because I was short, honestly. But can you blame them? I mean, goodness sakes, it's seventh grade. Here's what you do when you're deciding this kind of thing. You put the tall kids on the A team that are coordinated, and you put the short kids on the C team. That's just what you do. You can't blame them for that. You got to put the team who are going to get the job done, get the Ws, right? You got to put them on the A team, represent the city well. So you put the short kids on the C team, right? Gosh. Hey, not God. He doesn't do that. God would be a terrible seventh grade basketball coach. God chooses people who make him look good, but might not look good doing it themselves. And it turns out that those people are the screw-ups, the losers, the short kids. That's right, we're on God's team. No. No, tall kids, hey, God loves... Tall kids too, I think. I've... <laughs> but here's the deal. God, his covenant, is not about you making sure that you earn your spot on the roster. It's not about you trying your best to win rookie of the year so that you are sure that you've got a spot next year. That's not what his covenant is about. If you are in Christ... You belong to God. You were bought with a price. You are His. He is yours. It's something that cannot change. He purchased you with Jesus' blood on the cross. That means your righteousness, your right standing with God, was purchased by Jesus, not earned by you. It's a gift a gift given to you from God for you to rejoice in. This is not a seventh grade traveling basketball team. This is God's chosen people who he will never let go of. We've even got proof in the psalm that the covenantal relationship can't be because David never sinned or never messed up. Remember that first prerequisite, God instructs sinners, and David knew he was one of them. So keeping God's covenant and his testimony doesn't mean sinlessness, but it means that we believe that our sin has been dealt with. We cast our sin into the ocean of Jesus' blood and therefore receive right standing with him as a gift. So when we ask God to lead us, we bring three terrible things to the table. We bring sin, pride, and unfaithfulness, but God brings three really critical things. He brings payment for sin, the perfect display of humility and faithfulness to us. God's leadership is completely one-sided. So doesn't this make you think, like, why would he choose to lead people who he knows are just going to mess it up? Look with me at verse 11 again. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. You see, God is committed, completely committed, to glorifying his name. The goal of this whole thing is for his name to be glorified. He won't let his name be tarnished. And this is how he decided to bring glory to himself. By loving sinners. By humbling himself to the point of death on a cross. By raising Jesus from the dead and sealing for eternity the redemption of his people the one-sided deal that we've got going with God will always bring praise and glory to his name. Not to ours, but to his name be the glory. And his glory is for our good. This means that we get to have stubborn belief. Stubborn belief that we can trust his leadership and that no matter what, God has decided that in whatever direction we go, whether it's pain, suffering, a period of transition, whatever direction we may go, it's because God decided that this is the way he will be glorified the most. And while that might not make sense to us, we need to have stubborn belief that that is the case. Because God is totally committed to glorifying his name, and that's for his glory and our good. While there might be apparent chaos in the moment, people may be freaking out. There might be legitimate hardship going on, deep pain and suffering, loss and trouble. God is totally committed to glorifying himself. So if that is our ultimate hope, the glory of God, then we have absolutely nothing to fear and we can trust his leadership, because God will not let you go. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. And so we see that God leads the sinner. He leads the humble and he leads those who he is in a covenant relationship with. Three prerequisites that are completely attainable for you. Because you have sin. I have sin. You and I have much to be humble about. And it is God who provides steadfast love and faithfulness to us, even when we're unfaithful to him. God loves to be the God who is depended on fully for everything. So let's be a people who depend on him for everything. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for this reality. That you are the greatest leader of all time. God, we trust you with today. We trust that you are over today and you are leading us even now. God, we cry out, we lift up our soul to you. In you we trust, God, and we just ask that you would lead us the way you always have, with steadfast love and faithfulness. God, thank you for this just good news that we can rest in this morning, knowing that we don't need to be completely put together, but we can see the display of humility that was the cross of Christ. We can kneel before it and receive grace. We can humble ourselves before you and know that you are beautiful. We can see that perfect act of humility and grow in humility ourselves so that you would be glorified, so that you would lead us well. God, thank you for what you've done for us, what you are doing for us, and what you will do we rejoice in the hope of your glory. And we pray this all in your name.